I'm Alexandra Joe, Director of Outreach and Education at Parting Stone, and this is the Death Care Decoded Podcast. In this podcast, we explore trends in the death profession, uncovering valuable insights through conversations with industry thought leaders. Our mission is to bring forward-thinking education to death care professionals. This week, I'm delighted to bring Joelle Simone Anthony back on the podcast. Joelle, also known as the Grave Woman, is a sacred grief practitioner, licensed funeral director, and death care educator. She joins us this week to talk about some of her new courses on cultural competency in funeral service and how diversifying our education as funeral professionals will benefit everyone that we serve. We also discuss the importance of ritual in the role of death care providers and how creating opportunities for ritual building for your families might be easier than you think. You're jumping into a conversation with myself and Joelle Simone Anthony. So I'm I'm super excited to be talking to you again and having you back on the podcast. It's been <laughs> over a year since the last time we recorded anything, if you can believe that. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wow. was April of 2021. Wow. I know. Time flies. <laughs> yeah. It's almost two years. Yeah. Yeah, time is really flying. But you're always such a delight to talk to you, and I appreciate you taking the time. So first of all, I just want to hear about what's going on in your world. I know you have some new courses available that sound really amazing, and maybe we can just start off talking about those. Sure. So they're not available yet, but what I'm doing is creating courses around cultural competency as it relates to the influence of religion, spirituality, ritual, um, just the things that we all do so differently at the end of life and really diving into that. And just to give you a little bit of backstory on that. So my husband is Baha'i and prior to meeting him, I had never heard that word before. Little did I know it was a spiritual path or religion and just learning about the things that would be required. Because, of course, being a death care professional, that's the first thing I ask. What are we going to do if one of us dies? Um, Absolutely. Just learning about the things that would have to be done and the care that would have to be given to my husband upon his passing were all new to me. And I was astonished and disappointed and upset and angry that I didn't learn about these things in mortuary school or throughout my career, I've never served a Baha'i family. I've never met a Baha'i person knowingly. And then finding out that they're one of the fastest growing religions in the world. And why have I never heard of this? So just learning about his culture and his spiritual practice, it really was like, okay, more people need to know about this. So it started and is still progressing with doing research about what's important to him, which is always going to be important to me, and about how to honor him at the end of his life in a way that he would be pleased with. And taking that and using that lens to look at other spiritual paths and practices and religions that aren't talked about in the mainstream. That's really beautiful and very important. You know, I've I've been doing a lot of research about ritual specifically in those contexts for a talk at NFDA in a couple of weeks. And returning to our last conversation, because we mentioned and we talked about that a bit, but through this lens of cultural competency and how to make those end-of-life practices and rituals important 
for the family specifically, how to make them, you know, meaningful to the relationship they had with the deceased. That's the key in rituals actually being beneficial to the grieving process and moving into that with, with more intention. And so I think this is really wonderful work that you're doing. And can you talk a little bit more about Baha'i for a second, actually, because I'm not familiar with Baha'i either. And that just goes to show how many spiritual cultural practices, even if a funeral home is equipped for Christianity and Judaism and Hinduism, maybe they aren't equipped for the more quickly growing ones, but that are that are less known. Could you could you talk about that for a second? Sure. I'm not going to get too deep because I do when I release the class, when people yes, come yes, here. Yes, yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Or not what I have to say, but what exists, right? Um, but basically, what my husband always tells me is that they believe in the practice of the search for indep- or independent investigation of truth. Mm. Meaning, I'm not going to define God for you. I'm not going to define your experience for you. I'm not going to tell you what the answer is. What I need you to do is go out and seek truth in your spirit, your mind, and your heart, because the truth has a spirit of its own. And so to me, that was beautiful because I come from a very, very, very Christian household, which there's nothing wrong with. It's my anchor, but it's, this is what the rules are. And if you go outside of this, you're damned to hell Mm -hmm. and you don't need to seek anything else. Everything else is the devil and it's bad and you'll go to hell. Mm -hmm. So to have someone say, what is the truth speaking to you? What is true in your heart? It it just resonated so deeply with me. Um, Things I didn't know that I'd have to do should, my husband and I travel a lot. I'm always traveling, going somewhere, speaking or working. So it's like, if we're traveling somewhere and he passes away, he can only be buried within a hundred miles of his his rest, like where he passes away. So for example, we're going to San Francisco um, in October. God forbid something happens to my husband. He'll have to be buried within a hundred miles of where he passes away. Wow. Um, And if you're a person that doesn't travel often, that is not a big deal. But for us, it's like, I would have to go within a hundred miles of San Francisco to see my husband or to visit his resting place. Mm -hmm. But their practice, that's something that is required. I want to be cremated. Mm-hmm. That's frowned upon in his spiritual practice. Wow, yeah, he basically has good. to have a green a green burial with no embalming, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. nothing elaborate. They don't believe in an elab like elaboration and fanfare. Very simple. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that must be done that we go into in the course to his body and with his body and they're so different than the things that I desire. So what does that look like as far as are we going to be, am I going to be cremated and then placed as his feet when he's buried or is he going to be buried and I change my mind because I want to be with him or next to him. So there's just so many different things that I didn't think about prior to meeting him, but that independent investigation of truth, Alexandra is the biggest difference that, um, I I've learned from him and his faith. Wow. I I love that so much. Just independent investigation of truth resonates with me as well as a very spiritually exploratory person. 
And I think would resonate with a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life. And you as a couple are this beautiful illustration of the evolving needs of today's family that funeral professionals are serving. You know, there are more and more households that have multiple religions within them. This is something that we talked about in celebrant training. You know, when you're working with a family, maybe the parents are Christian, but maybe one of the children's children is a Buddhist. Maybe one of the children is an atheist. How do you serve everyone's needs if one of those parents dies? And, you know, so it, we know that it's important. And I don't think that there are a lot of funeral directors out there that would argue that it's important, but I think that you're right that we're not taught in mortuary school a lot of the different religions that exist in America today outside of Christianity and maybe maybe Catholicism and the Jewish faith. Not at all. What is what do you recommend funeral professionals do if we're not taught that in mortuary school? The first thing I'd recommend is to sign up for one of, if not all of my courses, of course. But again, tap into that, that practice of independent investigation of truth. I've said this since I started doing interviews. I encourage everyone when you're doing your apprenticeship, when you're doing your clinicals, even when you're selecting a place to do your work as a professional, instead of staying in our boxes where we go to work for a black funeral home or white funeral home, Jewish funeral home, Hispanic funeral home. Try to get a job where people think, pray, mourn, grieve, eat, and express and emote differently than you do. Because the best way to learn about a culture, a religion, a practice is to become immersed in it. How many times do we visit cities that we don't live in and we're just so excited to see what that city has to offer? The appeal to that is that it's different than what we do. So why shouldn't that excitement be given to the theory of death care practice. We become so comfortable in our sex and in our our little professional bubbles. We we get into the ego of, oh, well, I served a thousand families this year, but did you serve a thousand different families Mm -hmm. or did you do the same thing over and over and over a thousand different times? Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's a really good point. And that is something that I think about a lot too. Because I think we touched on this a little bit in our last conversation, but the death care profession is somewhere where things do seem to be divided along those lines. You know, there's the community Catholic funeral home, and then there's the community, you know, black funeral home, and then there's the community Jewish funeral home. And, you know, I I have been wondering why it's still that way today. And I wonder if you have thoughts on that. You know, um, there's a quote by Martin Luther King that says the most segregated time in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, because that's Mm -hmm. when traditionally all participate in whatever religious or spiritual practice that we have. But I think the same can be said about funerals. It's one of the most segregated times that hour, hour and a half that we're in the church celebrating the life of a loved one and not segregated because the people that are showing up to do the honoring and the celebrating want it that way, but because traditionally that's what's been done. I mean, funeral service in the death care industry is one of the most segregated energy, uh, not energies. Well, it is an energy, but segregated industries Mm -hmm. in the United States. 
even post-COVID, even post-George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all of the things that have happened in the past three years, we're still segregated. I'm still having conversations and still having to put out petitions about removing racist language and discriminatory language in handbooks and dress codes. And that energy, that mindset, and that limitation is not going to change until mortuary school and mortuary science and death care education changes. Or until you get to the point where families are 100% taking care of their loved ones, which is a very real possibility in the world that we live in. Not that anything's right or wrong about that. It's up to that family and that person. But if we don't change, we're going to eliminate ourselves as a necessity because ritual and personalization and people realizing that they really don't necessarily have to be fully directed by a funeral director to celebrate someone's life was made apparent during COVID. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now the care of the body is a different thing, but the celebration, something totally different. Yes. That, and I love that distinction too. Wow. That was, that was such a good, such a good little quote because it's it's rich and full of of things that I'm I've become very passionate about in death care. Things like personalization, things like offering more options for ritual building in the bereavement and grieving process. Um, things like serving more families and getting out there. And post COVID, we have all of this data and all of these surveys showing us that families are continuing to want to have online options, do remote arrangements, show up to the funeral home for the service, but maybe have more of a party, have food and fellowship, and um, are interested in more personalization, uh, things like takeaway ceremonies or non-traditional locations. All of that is on the rise because I think a lot of people some people were doing it before COVID, but now a lot of people know that it's actually a possibility. Mm-hmm. And so that does require some evolution, even more evolution than we saw during the pandemic for death care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, I wonder what your thoughts are on some ways that, that death care could evolve to accommodate those needs more? I mean, it's simple, really. Instead of being professional centric, meaning I'm the director and I'm going to tell you what your options are, we need to become more person centric. Whether we're celebrating the essence of the individual through their pre-need arrangements and requests, or simply closing our mouths and asking families who was this person? Tell me your story. To me, funeral directing and death care is storytelling from the best perspective possible. And that is the perspective of everyone that was close to you and loved you in that moment. Yes. Listening to those stories, listening to what was important to that individual and stepping outside of the box of tradition, stepping outside of the box of this family only has this much money to spend, so they're going to get this much energy or stepping outside of the box of I've done it this way a thousand times. And, you know, this is what we do here. 
this is what we're known for here, that shouldn't limit what we're providing to families. And good for families for standing up and realizing and catching on to the fact that it is your moment when you walked into the funeral home mm-hmm. or made that phone call to the funeral home, not ours. Yes. So I think it's a release the ego. Oh, release the ego. I, I do love that. Because, yeah, I think actually in our last talk, there's a really wonderful quote from you about walking into arrangements as a blank slate. You know, like maybe because my beliefs are one thing, um, those are my beliefs, but I don't have to project them onto a family and should go into that arrangement as a, as a blank slate and make it for and about them. And I think that's really relevant here as well. Maybe you don't want online arrangements, but if that's going to help and serve a family, offering it to them and, and making it a part of this very difficult time in their lives is what we are here to do because that's serving them. Right. Mm-hmm. I was going to tell you quickly, um, mm-hmm. and this is something I haven't shared publicly, but prior to going to mortuary school, I had a dream. I'm, I'm a dreamer. Like yeah. that's how God talks to me. That's a part of the ritual between God and I. Right. Yeah. And I had this dream that I was in this big hotel. Don't know where this hotel was, but I lost my laptop and in order to find it, I had to go through all of these tents. One tent was a Native American setup where people, it was like a sweat lodge and I was allowed to go into the tent, but I wasn't allowed to put on the attire, Mm -hmm. but I had to go into the tent. I had to listen to what the person had to say. I had to receive the message and then I was able to leave and graduate to the next level, which may have been a Catholic mass, but I couldn't put on the attire, Mm -hmm. but I had to sit there and listen. And then I had to go to an African lodge or tent and I wasn't allowed to put on the attire going into all of these tents and it was about 12 tents. And by the time I got to like the 20th floor, I'd gone through all these tents But in each place I had taken something off, like something that I had on, like jewelry, earrings, lipstick, makeup, whatever. Mm -hmm. And when I found my laptop, it was thinking about it now, finding myself. And then I started typing. And when you were talking about that blank slate just now, it reminded me of that dream. And I think that's what we as funeral professionals, whether you're in administration, clergy, doula, funeral director, whatever your role is, counselor, whatever, we have to go into each of these tents, each of these scenarios with people that think, look, pray, eat, mourn, grieve differently than us, that blank slate, and not necessarily try to appropriate or put on the attire to fit in, but just listen and get what the families, what our customers, what our clients are telling us. Yes. Yes. That's so beautiful. And that sounds like a prophetic dream of your, your career. I, it's wonderful. I love that so much. And yeah, it just, that also points to, you know, the value of celebrating difference, which is not something that we are taught as young people, or at least I wasn't as a young person growing up in the 90s in the South in America, it was fit in, don't stand out, don't draw attention to yourself, be like everyone else. And 
we were not taught to value and celebrate diversity and difference and understand that different people have different needs. And particularly in this profession, because it is such an intimate space to be grieving and losing someone and honoring them and memorializing them in a very short timeline, typically the, the people who are doing that. Yeah. Like need to understand the value of all of these different walks of life and all of these different cultures and, and understand how to respect and give each family that has different needs the same opportunity for experience. And so that I love that, that dream as a metaphor or an illustration for that, especially the, like, you know, I'm not trying, you don't have to be a Hindu person to accommodate a Hindu cremation ceremony. You have to be open to and excited about that difference between you and people of that faith. So yeah, I love that. I think it would be so awesome if we not so much considered ourselves to be death care professionals, but lifetime reflection specialist. Oh, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there, there's so much merit in what we do as professionals, but we're reflecting a lifetime mm-hmm. back to a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that actually is. Have you ever been to celebrant training? You'd really get along with Glenda, who who I just did training with, because we talk about storytelling, we talk about narrative, we talk about ceremony, and and you know, celebrant training is particularly a an end of life memorial service provider that just interviews families and tells the story. It can be religious, it can be spiritual, but if the family is not, then it's not. It's just really reflecting, it's a mirror to who the family is. This is just reminding me so much of like how amped up I was coming off of that training because it is really, yeah, it's, it's, it could really be a game changer for the profession to reframe how we think about ourselves, what our goals are, what our priorities are. So coming out of that, I want to get a little bit more granular about this word rituals that we have kind of mentioned and brought up a couple of times. Can you talk a little bit specifically about, for you as a funeral professional, the role of rituals in services, the role of rituals in working with families, and then maybe some of the different ways that you've found people have found meaning in ritual and why they're important. Sure. So I'm going to approach that from two different perspectives. So the rituals that I participate in before even walking into a space or going into a space to show up as a blank slate, right? What I think we're so intimidated by that word. Like it's, it's become black pots and just weird stuff that it's not. It's as simple as brushing your teeth, right? So for me, it's important to incorporate water, right? In my personal ritual to cleanse myself and to really just prepare to be that blank slate, right? But then when working with families, the biggest ritual is just listening. I think if we ritualize listening, the world would just be a better place, let alone death care. Mm -hmm. But listening truly to hear again, those stories and asking questions that cause people to reflect, like what is your favorite memory with your dad? or your mom, 
and people will get into so many details, right? Mm -hmm. So let's ritualize those stories. You said your favorite memory with your dad was that he took you fishing on this Saturday and there was a storm and you got wet in the rain and da 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 Well, why don't we incorporate some of those things from that moment, either in the program or, you know, do you have anything from that day would, that you'd like to place in the casket or the urn with your dad? Or let's create a setup that reflects that. What was your dad's favorite color or what was his favorite music, favorite smell? Just encapsulating the senses in a way that creates those memories and jars those memories. Mm -hmm. Who was your dad's or your mom's or your son's or your daughter's favorite person to talk to? Would you like to involve them or have them say a few words instead of who's going to read this? Who's going to say this? Who's going to do this prayer? Mm -hmm. Approach it from a personal standpoint. So for me, ritual and ritualizing our role as (laughs) funeral and death care professionals is about taking those little teeny tiny details and expanding them. Mm. To me, that's what ritual is. Now there are rituals that you encounter with religious services, like you said, Hindu services or Baha'i services, things that have to be done in protocol to honor those beliefs. But going outside of that, ritualizing the experience and the memory of your loved one. Yeah, I love that. That's that's such a unique definition, you know, because doing research for this talk, there's a lot of, you know, psychology definitions of ritual, an observed behavior repeated over and over again that has significance or whatever that is, you know, but that's, it's so impersonal, right? Those kinds of definitions. But what you're talking about is really taking something that has personal significance and elevating it to a place of honor and ceremony and applying intention to an activity, you know, and that, or, or a memory or a moment. And, and that's really what is going to, I think, help families find meaning in the services that we create. That kind of personalization, that kind of attention to detail and, and a true deep honoring of what is unique about their relationship with that deceased because, and that's also going to help them find value in the services that we offer. And, you know, I hear a lot of, a lot of funeral professionals very nervous and and anxious and upset about all the DIY funeral planners, (laughs) right. That we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation. But I think people are attracted to DIY because they've not been to funerals that have that personal significance, that meaning, that ceremony, that intentional honoring that I, that creating a personalized ritual can give a family. And so they think, well, they don't know me. They don't know my person. It's just going to be the same funeral I've been to 100 times before. So I'm just going to do it on my own. So it will feel more special. But when they see those ritualization practices happening, when they see those personalization practices happening, I truly think that more people are going to find value in what we do as funeral service professionals. So, and I think um, that fear and that anxiety that you're talking to are about, it boils down simply to, I'm not going to make any money. Right. But, or I'm going to have to change the way that I do things. 
And a lot of people don't adjust or respond well to change for whatever reasons, right? But at the same time, I truly believe that when you are offering death care and death care services with intention, with that intention, whether you are a spiritual being or not being rooted in treating others the way you want to be treated, you don't have to worry about the money. Right. Because you, I mean... I feel like we have one of the most special and unique jobs and perspectives of anyone on the planet. And I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I hold that dearly. But at the end of the day, I'm a vessel for comfort, a vessel for guidance, a vessel for compassion mm-hmm. that will always have room. Yeah, There all, will always be room for those things. Yeah. So... so Again, I think mortuary science education, not that it's a bad thing or that it's 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 not good, but I think there's been such an awakening of the spirit in these past few years. Yeah. People want to work with people who the spirit of truth resonates with them with. And if you are approaching death care from that perspective, you can't lose. You just can't. You can't lose anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's, yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me because when you are approaching it, putting the people and the families first, you're going to serve them better. They're going to find the value in their services. They're going to come back to you. They're going to recommend you. Yeah. It has to, it has to start from, from that priority though, you know, because it does come across when, when something isn't genuine or when the the priority is not the family. And so that, that just makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. Well, this has been such a lovely conversation and so, so informative as it always is talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me, Alexander and Partingstone. Here's another note from a satisfied parting stone family. Thank you so much for returning Mary in the form of beautiful, colorful stones. I will share them with family and leave a stone or two as I travel west by car. Mary and I always loved road trips. Love and happiness to you.